And this is Quite Like, a podcast. Well, welcome listeners to uh, episode five of the second series. Can you believe that, Tim, of Quite Like a Podcast with me, Rory Forbes. And me, Tim Deppen. So, Tim, um, uh, dodging rainstorms seems to be one of the common themes of uh, the last fortnight. Um, uh, are you wet? Are you dry? We had a very wet dog walk around Shanklin Park this afternoon, very squelchy, um, but but it's good to get out. Um, Ella says that we enjoy walking on beaches because they're very well draining, which is very true. <laughs> Twice a um, day at least. But <laughs> there have been the increasing number of times this week where the island seems to have been cut off due oh, to yes. either weather or lack of ferries being available or lack of man and person power. And yeah. it really has been a bit of a trying week, I think. Yeah, I think fast cats were suspended at one point. Um, hovercraft was suspended. Um, red jets, you know, the red funnel catamarans, uh, failed to materialise through lack of staff or lack of qualified staff to, to meet marine uh, legislation requirements. Um, so the car ferries, I think, ploughed their, their furrow in the normal way but of course it's not easy for as we know from your interview with the um uh, the head of the white link user group or the leader of the white link user group that it's difficult actually sometimes to reach the car ferry ports particularly if you're at the end of the pier in ride uh, yes indeed i mean I, I guess red funnel is fairly well located in, in east cows so you know, you have got some public transport options but but um white unless the floating bridge is out of service and you need to get across to East Coast from West Coast. Because I, 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 must, I must say, we have a floating bridge story. Um, we went last, I think it was Saturday. We often go over to, to West Cows to buy milk from the um, the milk hut, which I think we've talked about Ooh, before. Yes, yes. yes. And but for, for reasons unidentifiable, we wanted to walk the dog in East Cows, so the other side of the marina. So... Being a genius, I said, well, let's drive down and we'll go over on the floating bridge and we'll walk the dog. The problem was we had to wait about 20 minutes for the um, for the, for the boat to come. And tempers and dogs were getting a little bit fraught waiting in the queue. Now, I, I thought it was well worth waiting for the magnificent cruising opportunity that the floating bridge um, offers. But <laughs> others, I think, disputed that. Was that really worth it, that kind of five minute chain chuntering kind of three pounds three pounds single i suppose that might cost the, the petrol you would consume to drive down to to newport to come back up again the other side i suspect on a petrol basis it's probably you know it's not going to be quite as much but similar and yeah. some time but i thought just for the for the pleasure of the crossing as a you know somebody who enjoys different forms of transport. absolutely yeah you, you're a public transport kind of dare i say geek um, but aficionado is you may you may you may say that, but others others disagreed. So the the walk around East Cows was somewhat fraught. Yes, yes. But what was the experience of the floating bridge? Everything you hoped it would be. Yeah, uh, well, I, I've been over a couple of times, and my my eldest son, who also I think would fall into the category of transport geek, and I rode the ferry um, some while ago, and you know. Ticked it off on our, on our bucket lists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think 
the ramps to get on are probably fairly steep. So if I'd been driving the family Ferrari, it might have been yeah. a bit more of a challenge. Yes, you'd have been luckily, worried about your sills and, and the Yes. Yeah. Luckily, the Skoda accommodated it perfectly in, you know, the Skoda, the car for all occasions. Yes. Um, the buffet options were perhaps somewhat limited. But you had to take that did, with you, didn't you? <laughs> Bring your own yeah, buffet. I think I had, we had a bottle of water and some boiled sweets. <laughs> um but, you know, it, it's a unique experience. I don't know how many chain link ferries there are across the UK. There certainly used to be one in Swanage, I think. Yeah, is it, is it um, San, the Sandbanks Ferry? Is that a chain yes. link one that goes across? Somewhere, the down, somewhere in that direction, yes. It's quite interesting to drag a heavy gauge industrial foundry produced steel kind of chain um, in one of the busiest shipping lanes. Um, you know, Pool Harbour entrance is quite a quite a shipping lane. I'm sure that's a chain link as well, unless I'm thinking of uh, another one down in um, Plymouth. Um, Plymouth. I think you're right, though. I also used to have a fact, which is probably outdated now, but I remember when I went to Pool as a youngster, I was proudly told by someone that Pool was the second deepest natural harbour in the world after Sydney. I, I agree. Uh, with that, I've, I have heard that information. So there's some pretty significant draft vessels going in and out of Pool Harbour. Um, a previous customer of mine was Condor Ferries, and they they had some pretty substantial shipping going in and out of, of Pool. Yes, a, a cat, catamaran, which is a, quite, quite a low draft, but our late draft. But um, I used to say that the podcast isn't educational. Absolutely, absolutely. I actually spoke to somebody in Bangalore this morning, would you believe, who was absolutely fascinated. He saw my microphone on on the, the screen on the Teams call. Actually, it was a Google Meet call, just to be precise, as if that matters. And he came, oh, do you do podcasting? I said, funny you should say that. Uh, I do indeed do podcasting. He said, you must share me the link to your podcast. I love learning things from podcasts. So you're absolutely right, Tim. They are an educational opportunity for for all. So if he spreads the word in India, we, we it would be wonderful if we could get onto the Indian-like top 50 absolutely. podcast charts as the, the dadcasters from the UK. Oh, dadcasters. That, that's a term we I think we've thrown around on social media, but I'm not sure we've discussed that on the podcast itself. Care to enlighten us to the the term dadcaster? I believe there was a Guardian article, actually in one of the leader pages, where one of their bright young things dismissed the, the rise of the dadcaster. I think they were particularly aiming at the the rest is inverted commas, politics, sport, entertainment, history, stable by Gary, Gary Lineker. Very blokish. And also the kind of the, the global brand with the news agents and so forth, where you had a lot of white people of a certain age, not mm. white, but mainly, kind of cashing in on their memories and their history and targeting the sort of cash-rich um, audience that's out there for that kind of reminiscence of wasn't it all better in my day type yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like to think that we sit above that and we have oh, a, much, we do, yeah. a much broader reach. But in um, our defence... That was the thrust of the it. The thrust of being a dadcaster. It's a bit like dad rock in a way. And, and I suspect it's to do with people having the time, the inclination, the get up and go to get off your backside and stop eating smashed avocado and drinking lattes and instead do something creative for the good of the community and indeed humanity. So that, in other words, we could be labelling it envy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
indeed, indeed we could. But of course, as a public service, um, you know, utility, um, we've educated people about, you know, parks in Shanklin today about the inclement weather. We've talked about floating bridge challenges and how that you know can affect marriages. We've talked about how the podcast phenomenon has reached out to the Indian subcontinent. It's almost uh, amazing we're not really on Vectis Radio so much, isn't it? Indeed. Is there life beyond Vectis Radio? I, I think our, our, can we call it a pause? Have we pressed pause on our erstwhile radio careers, Tim? I like to think of it. Do you remember the footballer Martin Peters? I do. So I grew up and people would always say that Martin Peters, he's 10 years ahead of his time. And I like to think of us in that bracket. Yeah. yeah. Nexus Radio, it just isn't quite ready for us yet. Well- I have to say, again, a news-oriented theme. There was some coverage over the last few days of the fact that one of the radio stations that broadcasts, is it into the island or onto the island? Um, Either way, it doesn't matter. It's it's Wave 105, which I think is a Southampton-based station. Apparently, it is um, disappearing from the airwaves and has been gobbled up by Ken Bruce and Simon Mayo's greatest hits station. So it will kind of effectively disappear as it's discreet. I was going to use exactly the same phrase gobbled up, but you got in before me, which is (laughs) one of those symbiosis things. Next thing, our periods will be um, coinciding. (laughs) My oldest son used to listen to something in Southampton called, I think, Sam FM, and now... I think that's just some kind of narcissism. But um, he then moved to the one that was it Wave that you've just wave mentioned. Wave 105, yes, yes. And he was having a distraught conversation looking for counselling from his mother yet last night right. um, because she, she said, I think, oh, I hear that you're now going to have to listen to your dad's favourite <laughs> radio station because I do like Mr Bruce and Mr Mayo because yes. I'm of a certain age. And I think he was just shuddering at the thought that he might be listening to the same sort of music. Almost like having to listen to Radio 2 when we were young, because that's what our parents listened to, because it was the late programme. And, um, and, and Ken Bruce and Simon Mayo were on radio. And, and of course, uh, Steve Wright, who's just sadly left us. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, they won it in those days. So what does that make it now if I'm listening to it in my 60s yeah. Yeah. on Greatest well, Hits? We're we're probably all seeking the thing that we we grew up rebelling to. I mean, Radio One is unlistenable to, as far as I'm concerned, um, because it, it's a certain genre of music that I just find is the sort of thing you want to hear on a night out when you're in a club, not necessarily something you want to sit down and listen to or be in the car listening to accompanying you on the road. Um, but that again is me showing my dad caster age group, I suspect. But but the challenge for us and, and the opportunity, because we started this conversation on the, the opportunity that we have currently paused as we have um, said a bientôt to our colleagues at um, Vectus Radio, is that with Wave 105 disappearing, the discussion fermented on social media over the last 24, 40 hours that the Isle of Wight radio station is actually largely broadcast from the mainland over here. So it's owned again by another um, radio conglomerate. Um, So the questions were being asked, what is the radio station for the island? And of course, the answer kept coming back post after post. It's Vectus Radio. You should be listening to Vectus Radio. So the fact that we have our foot in that camp, Tim, yeah, they will will come knocking. 
We're quite happy to, to spoof around a little bit, but I think both of us have a very soft spot for them and the work that they oh, yes. do. And, you know, I think the reason that, you know, that we're having a pause is because we're, we're quite attached to and proud of our own little bit of quite like branding. And they're very keen to, to build a, a sort of a family atmosphere um, where everybody plays along as t- a t- as a team game. Yes. And I think fundamentally we are both team players, but there was a little bit of a mismatch between our somewhat slapdash and... Oh, you speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so some of the things that we would say and get away on the podcast are probably not appropriate for the yeah. radio. Yeah, well, you're, as soon as you're into broadcast radio and you've been given a licence to, you know, transmit on the FM frequencies and uh, on DAB and, you know, the like. I'm also into hospital radio because Vectus Radio is on one of the channels in St. Mary's Hospital um, on bedside radio sets, is you've got rules you have to obey to, you know. Out here in podcast land, you know, this is the Wild West of broadcasting. We are able to say pretty much what we want as long as we don't libel or slander or, or you know, cause hate uh, to crimes to be... Uh, uh, th- charged at us, so uh, uh, otherwise we'd have to join the reform party. Presumably. Oh my goodness, yes, we'd have to dream up mad conspiracies to agitate the population, or uh, get Lee Anderson badges. <laughs> yes, indeed. I must admit, actually, I think one or two of the people who know me would know that the description you've just given is probably fairly accurate, and the thought of me on grown-up, organised, rules-based radio is probably a bit of a stretch. Well, thank goodness for podcasts in the meantime, but Tim. <laughs> You, you are a character who I'm sure can be brought back to the straight and narrow to conform. And uh, as long as we wind you up and point you in the right direction, you, the, the essence of Scoop Deadman will never be lost. That's worth a big hmm. Mm. So before we take a break, what have you been up to this month? So this month Wait. has been... Uh, l- largely uh, has been a game of two halves. The first half for me has been... Uh, taking on a, a new contract, which has been quite an intense work commitment, um, and also has involved me doing a, a kind of series of uh, Monday to Fridays, nine to fives, as it were, which has not necessarily been the hallmark of my life for the last three years. It's been much more um, spits and stops and starts of work, which I've really enjoyed the, the flexibility and the freedom. So this is quite an alien experience. So that's that's kind of changed my kind of daily routine. And I think my biorhythms are being upset by it. But uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying the opportunity and the challenge. So that's the first half. Um, the second half has been um, we've had two weeks, can you believe, of solid family visitations. Um, we've had a half term in Essex, so the, the Essex-based grandchildren and their parents came down for the week, which was lovely. Um, and the week before that, we had um, our, our daughter and fiancé and youngest son all came over as a, as a group of three, a trio. Um, the uh, daughter's fiancé had a work anywhere in the world you want week through his employer. So he chose the Isle of Wight and uh, it came and basically did all his kind of cool graphic design three-dimensional animation stuff on his Mac in, in the house here. Uh, with, so- my HR, with, with my HR hat on, I feel a competition coming on for that because the, his organisation could have then asked, a bit like show and tell in primary school, 
they could have asked all of their staff to report and take a photograph of where they ended up working from. So he could have taken a photo sitting down in your beach hut, for example, which, by the way, featured once again in Alan Titchmarsh's masterpiece of island television, your your beach hut featured again in the latest episode. Yes, on on the final episode of Jewel of the South. Yes, yes, yes. Which thankfully we can say it was the final episode, although we're sad to see the visuals disappear from our screens. But I think we're probably universally thankful that the the soundtrack in the narration uh, has transferred its affections to the county of Somerset. Jewel of the Southwest. Jewel of the Southwest. Is that what it's called? Apparently, oh, God. now I think it's I think it's um probably possibly showing debuting, um even as we speak with with an overview introduction by Jacob Rees Mogg I've heard, <laughs> so um the thought of Rees Mogg and um Alan Titchmarsh is just unmissable. It, it, it is it is unthinkable. It's what it is, but um, I, I'm sure it'll be worth catching up with on time shifted uh, modern TV to to see what it's all about and to see if it's just as cloyingly bad uh, as the Isle of Wight narration uh, was. But uh, sad that there's so many lovely things that we want to talk about the Isle of Wight and share and show and use this podcast to do so. So perhaps when we come back after our break, we we can talk about some of the things we've been doing in more detail on the island and uh, and farther afield and some of the challenges that face residents and visitors on the island alike at the moment. Let's take that break now. So I, I've just uh, had a swig from my sponsored beverage of the evening's recording session, which is a a can of Brew Dog Hazy Jane in honour of my wife. And it's going down very smoothly. And I'm drinking Earl Grey, but it does come from Marks and Spencer's. In a in a Cadbury's mini egg mug, I can see on screen there. Right? Absolutely. So talk, talking of coffees, one of the things, and, and teas and beverages, one of the things we enjoy doing is waxing lyrical about newfound uh, beverage uh, experiences on the island, and I think you've got one to report. You sound like Sheldon there. We're, we're currently re-watching The Big Bang Theory from the start, and the use of um, beverage opportunity is very much a Sheldon um, trope. Very, very specifically logical. <laughs> yes. So um, Ella and I walked the pooch on Compton Beach, which we, we like to do when the tide permits at this time of year. And we had a wonderful walk away from the dinosaur footprints in the other direction towards freshwater. Yeah. Um, and the dog, you know, chases a ball and chases other dogs and does what dogs do. And we had a lovely walk. Um, quite wild weather, but we had a good walk. We, we've we've also long wanted to visit the coffee cart that is in the car park towards freshwater. So as you leave Compton Beach, you turn left, you head towards freshwater on the road of sudden death and in the car park adjacent to the golf course on the right is a coffee it, it looks like a converted horse box which is what i think it is and uh it, it's called the bike box because the guy i think is a keen cyclist he's also an ornithologist probably probably is it what are they call them twitters not uh twitchers Twitchers, that's Twitchers. it. Yes. Yeah. because he has a board that every day he writes the birds that he has seen in the vicinity of the box and he has a proper pro level scope that you can use for yeah. looking at looking at birds so it's, it's a good place to go but the quality of the coffee is outstanding oh good that was my next question was going to be i mean it, it, not, 
Enjoy it was top, top notch. He also offers a soup of the day. So soup and a roll for five or six quid and homemade cakes alongside Grace's cakes. Ah, so, um, we it, it wasn't sitting out weather, but he does have tables. So we got coffee, sat in the car, and stared moodily towards France. And it was really a thoroughly nice um, uh, little half an hour. It is one of those spots, one of the kind of the landscapes where there is it's just breathtaking because whether you look to your left or whether you look to your right, you just have these towering white chalk cliffs. You know, the the freshwater bay, kind of the hotel with hotel come spa come boutique destination, which is opening in a few months' time, um, which is going to be quite stunning. The Albion Hotel nestling right in the heart of freshwater bay the crescent of freshwater bay it's a delightful spot for swimming it's kind of protected from some of the more um westerly winds ever so slightly so it's very popular with sea swimmers it, it, it is it, you also suspect it's one of those car parks that gets used for the odd amorous interlude and uh, given where it is you expect the earth to move beneath your feet but you'd want to be driving fairly quickly if that happened I isn't isn't in that part of the world the earth already moving beneath all our feet um i don't think we need to go into that well, the the um, indeed. You're getting <laughs> just, there, aren't you? I realise what you did there, Tim, and uh, I, th- I think we must finish this segment by making a really specific shout out to the the Bike Box Cafe just outside Freshwater Bay. The views are tremendous. Clearly, the coffee is tremendous. The soup and cake options too. Yep. I'm looking at it on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, the Bike Box Cafe, uh, you you will find them. Uh, the Bike Box Isle of Wight, actually, is the Facebook code. Um, you'll find them and have a good look at what. Now we, we also revisited one of our favourite breakfast Ooh, haunts uh, last Saturday, Bestie and Spinkies in, on the front of Ventnor. But they've been closed for what we can't call the winter. I think they close for late December into uh, stop for January and come back in early mid-February so we we went there last weekend we uh, your suggestion your very perfectly timed suggestion because we'd just seen off our visitors so we're able to uh, um, freewheel as a couple again around the island which we, we love doing and uh, thankfully and very proud to report that the quality and the ambience remains just as we knew it, just as we love it, and uh, you know, set fair for a really good season in 2024, we hope. You, you and I changed our minds, I think, at the last minute and went for the Ventnor Bay, which used to be called a special. I think we've discussed this before, but it's just uh, the cooked breakfast, the Ventnor Bay, where you get basically three of everything, I think. I'm describing this accurately, but it's a really substantial plate which sets us up for the day when we, we had good intentions of going in for maybe a a, a little bit of some smoked... Avocado. Yeah, and Smashed yeah. avocado or something. That, uh, yes. We went for the... Didn't happen. What I, friends I, I, of mine I, refer to as the fat boys breakfast. Yes. <laughs> the thing about besties and spinkies, though, is whilst there is definitely quantity, there's actually quality. Oh, absolutely. Because they, they've stayed true to, I think, their original uh, mission. Um, and it, it's local produce. I don't think I've ever had a bad meal there. And we don't go that often, but we've had a couple of lunches over the years and, and a few, quite a few breakfasts. But but there, it's a bit like the spyglass. They're unwavering in there because I think they're at the... 
yeah, what do they the French say where, where the um the chef the chef eats in or whatever the phrase is? Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's always one of them there, and the quality control is is impeccable. So, uh, whilst it's not the cheapest experience for breakfast, it's probably the best I would yeah, say. Yeah. And, and and we've always said this about them as well, and we we do wax lyrical about Bestie and Spinkies. It's just so important to us. Um, consistency. So you always get the same consistency. You do of food, um, cooking quality, you know, quality of the ingredients, etc. Service is great, always friendly. And they, they do do a good coffee and hot tea. And uh, our good ladies went for the strawberry waffles. Waffles, waffles for the ladies. Yes. And, as, as, the little bit of the Al, Al Murray, yes. Really, the pub landlord would say, Ventnor Base for the gents and uh, strawberry waffle for the ladies. And half a lager, Yeah. <laughs> Actually, while while we while we're eulogising food, I think yes. we should just mention today at the very sad passing of Dave Myers from the, the Hairy Bikers. I know thing. we're not in the business particularly of obituaries, but I think we we, we both felt that, that it was always a, a good television show, and they both had a lot of um kind of credibility, and you you felt that what what you saw was what you actually got, and yes. they they did a lot of work to popularise small suppliers around the country and you know i think their recipes were fun you know I... fascinating kind of backstories to the pair of them that neither of them are kind of professionally trained chefs from a career point of view um i think they were both in the media um i think what was dave a makeup artist i think i, I don't know or a makeup coordinator I, again apologies to dave and his family if i've got that wrong but i'm sure there was some kind of film production element yeah Cy king was also involved as a third assistant director on movies um, and spent a lot of time apparently in Scotland shooting movies, I think like um, the Highlander uh, series with Sean Connery and so on. So there's, a, you know, the fact that their love of food kind of came through in the latter part of their careers and they became famous for what they, they were doing on their their bikes. And were they hairy bikers or hairy bakers to start? No, I think there is another pair who are, dubbed the bakers but i think they've always been the bikers because because as they say they're two loves of food food and motorbikes yeah absolutely yeah and and again having them in our living room um kind of sharing their passion their enthusiasm their love and the the, the ideas that they had and i must admit some of their books as well um we're a proud owner of a couple of their books cooking recipe books and one in particular for me when i was perhaps slightly more portly than i ought to have been we used a lot of their recipes for that helped them when they went through that same process of of losing weight and uh, one of the things that i noticed today on the lunchtime news where they were doing a kind of a hastily assembled obituary was how their body shapes had changed um you know from when they started uh to when they finished and clearly dave was um you know suffering suffering with a very difficult disease but their their health their sort of weight loss and health programs probably in the last sort of six seven years you know they'd actually sort of changed their shapes quite dramatically so yeah very very effective Also, something that's lesser known, but I'll give them a plug. They have an excellent range of cookware. Um, they do, they've had several ranges, but the last one, which was basically lightish cast iron with an incredibly effective hexagon non-stick surface is absolutely worth hunting out so Lidl had a few just before Christmas which they were selling off and I bought a frying pan and I wish I'd bought the wok as well because it's probably one of the best pans I've ever had 
I've I've seen Gordon Ramsay, who I have very little time for, as a as a media person. I would certainly probably turn him off in as quickly as I would turn on the, the hairy bikers, you know, to enjoy their experience. But he's been advertising also some cookware with hexagonal non-stick coating. And is, is that the new trend in non-stick coating? Is it some kind of new material that's been produced in science laboratory? I, I, I suspect so. Um, also, the, the idea of good quality pans that are, are lightweight. So there's a lot of this sort of aircraft-grade aluminium pans with non-stick surfaces that are coming out, which make them far more usable for most people because cast iron gives the best finish. Yeah. But, you know, you, you need to be built like Arnie to yeah. be able to lift some some of them up. My, my, my wife, Jane, who is small but perfectly formed. Um, kind of and has a beer named after her. Has a beer. Oh, let me have one more little uh, slurp of said beer. She um, refuses to have any of these cast iron cookware implements because they're just too heavy to carry empty, let alone too heavy to carry once you've got a big casserole or stew or, or something bubbling away inside it. So um, we, we we have, I think she's on the Green Pan Company. It's her favourite thing at the moment. Which I've is seen those in the shops. Now, over the last design. couple of comments, you, you managed to get Scotland into the conversation a couple of times. So I think there was a, some sort of rugby match at the weekend, not, not that I noticed. Yeah, Are we allowed to talk about rugby this week? I'm going to. I'm visiting rugby at the weekend. <laughs> so let's talk about rugby then, Tim, because it's clearly topical for your visits. Um, I, I, I think, uh, as a Scot who lives, when it comes to sport and particularly international sport, I live in a state of eternal hope, but perpetual disappointment, and I accept that normally. And and when a run of four wins on the in a row on the trot uh one after the other of the last four six nation seasons against what can only be described as the old enemy um i don't think i can any longer wear my badge of eternal hope and perpetual disappointment you know we are obviously the dominant force in um, the atlantic archipelago um primary island the british Isle, um, rugby force. Would you agree? Well, as ever, there are many things that I could say. <laughs> Often at this point, I, I usually challenge the Welsh, Scottish, Irish, pretty much any nationality in the world, actually. What would they rather do? Would they, would they rather win the World Cup or beat England? And most of them at least have to think long and hard about the question. And quite a lot of the rugby ones would say actually beat England. It's yeah. no question. I, I go back to my youth and, you know, not just rugby, but it, and there's primarily two sports that we're talking about that are kind of dominant in terms of being broadcast into homes, which is rugby and football slash soccer for our American friends, is, um, you know, Yes, the FA Cup final, Scottish Cup final in football was always a, a major event. And I remember watching the FA Cup final from the moment they were trailed from their hotels right the way through the coach um, and being interviewed on the coach as it headed, sped towards Wembley or Hamden. That, that was just part of a ritual. Final FA Cup, it's a knockout. All of that stuff was glorious. But it was always trumped by the home nations for football. So the day that Scotland would play England whether it was at Wembley or at Hamden, didn't matter. That was perhaps 
almost as significant as Christmas Day to a small boy. Um, living in England, ripped from his roots uh, at the young age of nine, um, very conscious that he was different because all his school pals made it clear that he was different. So clung on to my Scottishness as a as a protective shield. But uh, just the sadness of losing, but the joy of winning was probably equally counterbalanced just by the, the, the absolute pleasure of experiencing. Well, both of, both of them are worthless unless you've experienced the other. You know, so somebody very famous once said that um, uh, winning is only really losing deferred. And, you know, you, you don't enjoy winning unless you've had some, some defeats. I saw something on Instagram today where that, that quote came through. Now, Jane won't mind me saying this, but I'm very fond of a personality called Danny Mingus, who's well known from point of view, she's Scottish personality, but she does a place in the sun. And she's also doing some of the, the motor racing kind of presenting gigs as well nowadays. But she puts up pithy words of wisdom and kind of um, supportive memes, you know, to help people through um, difficult times in their life. And she's had a few difficult times in her life. Um, but she's an all around nice person. And she comes from very near where I come from in Scotland, which is why I'm uh, particularly um attached to her social media accounts. Uh, but she put up something very similar today, which basically said uh, a winner is a loser who tried one more day. I, I think it's something along those lines. Very similar, very similar. My, my, my oldest son and I also have a phrase that we usually trot out at football, um, that, that it's the hope that kills you. Indeed. We all travel. We all travel in hope, and we pay our gate money, and we buy our program, or it what, whatever it may be. It must um, be a drug. Some sort of endorphin kicks off because we do it again and again. You know, and particularly if you're a follower of a team and you follow them to away matches as well, length and breadth of the country, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that do that for each club. Um, you are at risk of constant, perpetual disappointment, but you still get up at three o'clock in the morning, spend a fortune on petrol or train tickets to get you to the, the next away match without any guarantee that you're going to get the um, the pleasure. But it, it's the hope that probably this, outbalances the disappointment. Yeah. This, of course, is is both true of sports fans, I think, the world over, um, uh, but also it's, it's a fundamental part of the English character, I think, because... There's a certain masochism involved about turning up on a rainy day and getting wet and spending money and then getting beaten and um, returning home, which um, feels, fulfills a very deep need. The last time I spent a lot of money to go somewhere and get incredibly wet, I drenched the skin, was um, on the occasion of the coronation of uh, England's monarch, Charles the something. Is it? Third or fourth? I've lost count. Um, it's unlikely to be Charles II because I think that was about 1665 or so. <laughs> um, I'm trying to express a degree of disinterest in, 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 in the subject. However, I attended a rally uh, for Scottish independence in Glasgow on the day of uh, his coronation in London as the English monarch uh, and um, got absolutely soaked to the skin. But did I care? No, because I was with a bunch of really cool people enjoying music, enjoying the scenery, enjoying the, the, the vibe of being together, much like football. Much like I, I went I went to see my club, my current club, Newport, Newport, Isle of Wight FC, um, take on the might of New Milton last night in the Wessex League. Oh, and how did and we do? managed to sneak to it was a perfect example of what we've been talking about because 
Newport managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, losing 4-3 in in added time. Oh, no. Yes. How many minutes of added time were provided for by the officials? I'm guessing about five. Seems to be extending more and more in every match. It used to be one or two minutes regularly of added time in football, but now it seems to be five, six. I, I think it's, you know, trying to pander to what they think is kind of customer service, trying to give some sort of, you know, equality to the lost time through time wasting. But of course, you know, the reality is if it's exciting, nobody really notices. Exactly. It's more it's more of a negative comment on the game, if anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, this was a very good game and... Um, and uh, did, lots of toing and throwing, and lost in the last um, did, spin of the dice. Did you also say that it was your club? Well, the club the club is owned. The club has been through financially difficult times. It is owned by the Supporters Association Trust. So, if you pay your ten pounds a year to become a member of the Supporters Association, you then become a co-owner of the club. I've paid my £10, so a little bit of me is now woven into the fabric of Newport. So do you have your own car parking space outside the stand? I think they're just getting the sign made. Now, (laughs) of course, we're about to move into a a spanking new stadium at the racecourse area near in uh, Whittingham. Whippingham, Whippingham. Whippingham. Um, you know, basically along Fairleys Road, just before you turn towards East Cows, they have a site which is currently used for um, festival parking. Oh, yes. It's yes. going to be a purpose built out of town um, stadium. Location. Yeah, very and good. The, the bit financed by the people who bought the previous ground, which is adjacent to Asda in Newport, and they can't build the proposed shopping precinct until they have delivered the football ground. Oh. And um, having talked, spoken to the chairman a couple of weeks ago, it appears that for the 25-26 season, they expect to be in their new home. Excellent. Excellent. Indeed. We're going to see that going up in the near future then. They must break ground. Well, I think soon, they, they're in the final stages of planning approval, which has been given, but they redesigned the headquarters building. So, it, yeah, it kind of needs to be ticked off. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Interesting. Interesting. So we should probably take another short break and, and then come back for you know our final portion um, right after this. <laughs> so that was an enjoyable break and um, we want to wrap up. Uh, this episode of the podcast by by talking about a subject that's close to all our hearts, and that's our you know personal and community and respective experiences of our, our glorious national health service that we all rely upon. Um, we're probably all interacting with it on some basis continually, aren't we, throughout our lives? And uh, uh, and I think the sense, the overwhelming sense I have is that it's always there. It's always there when we need it. But if we listened to radio, journalism, printed media, the story would be quite starkly opposite. You, you tend only to hear horror stories and you only hear that the NHS is crumbling and it's underfunded. But my personal experience throughout my life has been 99% plus absolute satisfaction and relief that it exists and it's there for us. So, um, uh it's almost a taboo subject because just from the general high-level perspective, if as a politician you try and 
start a kind of an intelligent debate about how the system that was developed and designed after the war might move on in the 21st century. You you, you tend to get shot by one or probably both sides because you're accused of privatising the system or, you know, the the system can't survive because, you know, things like Brexit have affected it, the waiting lists following COVID have affected things. You you know, it's almost like discussing the Middle East. that There's very difficult to find common ground to have a rational discussion or talking about who should be president of the US. I think I think you're right. It probably does come into that category of taboo. But I'm all for debate on any and every subject because that that's that's what democracy is about. You know, arguing your points of view, um, sharing those points of view with an educated electorate. Oh, my argument's already broken down, hasn't it? But, but um, very few, very few conflicts, particularly long-standing historical contexts are actually ever resolved through, you know, fighting. It's nearly always a negotiated settlement. So you could say the Second World War, but that was something that wasn't based on hundreds of years of historical animosity or, you know, that it wasn't buried in history. It was more about, you know, Europe being hijacked by a nation led by a madman. Whereas if you think about something like Northern Ireland, the fact that there there is a, you know, a a holding piece of sorts is down to brave people from all parties sitting down and having a, a rational conversation. And, you know, Labour politicians like Alan Milburn have been, who real, you know, interesting thinker on the subject would get shot down as, you know, basically being a turncoat, you know, Tory because he tried to promote a conversation about how the NHS could be funded going forward. Yeah. And it, 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 you know, there has to be a conversation. There's an absolute, there has to be a conversation about everything. I totally, totally agree with you. Kind of broad statement on that front and and how that's the only way the only safe way forward because as soon as you start pointing bullets and missiles and weapons in the other direction you've kind of lost the argument haven't you you've lost moral argument and you've lost the physical I, I, I mean this this isn't where we were going to go with this but but i do think that as a a nation but as a world we, we've become angrier yeah it, I, I do sense that in earlier days there, there was more capacity for reasoned debate where both sides at least would listen to each other. Yes. And I, I think the moment has to be right. So quite often it's, the moment just isn't there yeah. because you need to have people, brave people from both sides of whatever the argument is and to sit down and have the discussion. And, and the, the moment, so the conditions have to be yeah, you're right. appropriate. But um, an election isn't necessarily the right year to be having those discussions because the motive in an election year um, is not necessarily that altruistic for the particular subject you're discussing. Let's talk about NHS. Is the motive in election year for the NHS to be used as a political football? Of course it is. We'll spend more money on it. Vote for us. Um, Our NHS will wash whiter than your NHS. You know, it's that kind of advertising shallow level. When in reality, the the NHS is all about personal stories and personal experiences, um, which we all have. And um, it should not be something that is criticised for political game or indeed um, kind of heralded unfairly 
for equal and opposite political gain either. But uh, our individual human stories, I think, are largely, evidentially, perhaps anecdotally, really good experiences of the NHS, which is there to look after us all. And where I at tax avoiding multi-millionaire businessman who wants to spend less money on my tax contribution so that I can build another yacht or buy another mansion, um, I have to recognise that my workforce needs to be healthy. Did you um, watch the ITV series um, Breathtaking recently? Yes, we did. Yeah, We didn't watch it as it was broadcast live. We watched it in the, the now modern way of watching it when it suited us. Um but we were we were very moved by it in much the way we, we were moved by um, the personal dramas in the post office dramatization as well. Mr. Bates in the post office um, that that was as powerful in terms of in creating an emotional reaction with me. Um, well, both of us. Um, and, and again, you remembered what we all went through. One remembered what one went through during lockdown and what one knew that the the health service was going through. Um, so very powerful, very emotional, and you know, creating a, an overwhelming sense of anger and frustration. That it would have almost been better with the post office one if it had been his son, Mister Bates, because then it would have been Master Bates and the post oh. office. Now, moving swiftly along to the specific, we were talking yes. about the NHS. Yes, the NHS. Um, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I wanted us to finish on this is because, mm. um, I mean, we've had our family, my wife and I, Ella, we've had two two experiences of the service, mm. you know, in the last six months. So mine back in the summer, which was exemplary, and Ella's had some issues, both um, physical and also perhaps more on the mental side, mm -hmm. um, with the repercussions of, of my illness. And this week she, she engaged with our local health providers in the South White. And um, as you said in your introduction, we're so quick to call out the failings of the NHS. Um, the service that she had was exemplary. So she made a phone call in the morning. There were no appointments available during the day, but there was a telephone appointment. So she was spoken to by a doctor that afternoon. And she also was referred for what they call talking therapy through the mental health provision. And she completed the web form and they actually called her back on the same day and made an appointment within a month. Wow. And we just felt that that was enormously impressive and needs to be called out as a counterbalance to some of the negative stuff that, you know, that kind of pro proliferates in the media and yeah. you know, is sometimes used as a drawn into the political debate. Yeah, indeed. And, and I think you, you, as I said, you know, the personal experiences we all have, I imagine are 99.999 recurring percent positive, but it takes the media to jump on one bad experience of one family that may have been medically complex, you know, difficult personal circumstances surrounding the case, etc. but then is heralded on primetime news and primetime, you know, published media as evidence that the NHS is crumbling, that it's underfunded, and then it gets grabbed, latched onto by different political organisations. But at its heart, as you just expressed, the NHS works. And that's so important to give us all confidence that when we pick up that phone or fill out that web form, 
um, that we know there's a reaction there. Well, I the, med- a... the media loves a data outlier, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's far easier to, to, to focus on the one or two percent rather than the ninety percent that's yeah. actually in the middle bracket. Yeah. Which is, which, which and is... of course, you know, the COVID the COVID backlogs yeah. have been unresolved by the current governments and you know that i think is where much of the frustration lies i mean you've talked about being on a waiting list for a long time i've been on a waiting list for about seven eight months um to see a consultant for a a non-urgent but uh we'll call it an uncomfortable um condition by no means urgent so it is right that i am in a queue waiting because i can i can live with it quite happily um rather not but it's quite comfortable to live with it whereas you know when when certain conditions are presented in my experience and again anecdotally what you've said just now about your yeah, yourself your experience last year with a heart attack ella uh, in the last few days when when urgent intervention is required there will always be an urgent intervention there just always is uh, i i have not heard sufficient stories to make me think that the nhs is crumbling to the extent that it cannot provide that urgent first-line care at the point of need. So, but then clearly the breathtaking show, which I, which I do think is representative, shows a system that has no margins. You know, I think the difference in the last sort of 20 years is that probably the, the nationalised industries in general would, would have some slack in the system. Yeah. Or at least some some capacity. Whereas now there there is no capacity, and if you have extreme conditions, you're pushing people beyond sensible limits. Which of course is when mistakes happen, and you know some of the some of the basic things. So previously we provided, you know, a replenishment of cap- of um, uh, critical uh, care wear, you know, masks and gowns to a high standard. PPE, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the warehouses would have been managed, restocked, and that was the cost of doing business in a social democracy. And that was abandoned by the last government. And that is is criminal. It is criminal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely criminal. I mean, and the fact that they had the opportunity to do this in 2016 when they had the pre-pandemic planning exercises, operation, I want to say Pegasus, it began with P, not Pegasus, Operation Something, which was a desk review of readiness and um, resources and deployment of staff and equipment around the country in the event that something like a pandemic would happen, was ignored. So beginning with a P, something like piss-poor provision, perhaps. Thank you, yes. Piss-poor expectation management. Um, No, it's got to be a P, Rory, come on. Yeah, PPE, that is a PPE. Uh, I prefer PPP. (laughs) But piss poor performance and piss poor planning. Oh, you've made me swear, Tim, on the podcast. Uh, It's just going downhill. We'll never get back on radio at this time, right? But but I I, I think um, we, we probably, hopefully all our listeners will agree that when they've needed it, it's been there and, you know, my evidence. Uh, I had I had a, a cancer checkup uh, last summer, which is when the other thing was spotted. Hence, being the eight month waiting list for the other thing. But within two weeks, I'd been prodded and probed and examined and given the all clear. Um, from presenting at the GP to being given the all clear, it was literally two weeks. So that that two week window that is is exercised for something urgent um, was presented. So it's really good to hear 
that continues uh, in the case of Ella and obviously in your case last year as well, when it was kind of every minute was important with you. Um, um, yes, yes, indeed. And I guess that's the extreme end of the example. But, mm. you know, our, our experience has been first class. And, you know, it, it's a bit like people forgetting to describe good service when they're very happy to complain. I think I think it's important that we give some prominence when things do do, do work well. Yeah. We should probably think about wrapping up for I this evening. We should, yes, we, we definitely should. And on, on that kind of somewhat somewhat um positive, but tempered by the fact, you know, that Ella, Ella's going through some some challenges there, but we wish her well. Um and clearly in going to be in safe hands uh with the uh the, the, the medics that exist here on the island. So uh, we wish her well going forward on that. And I think I think also great. just to close on that, it, it, engaging with uh, the challenge and doing something about it is the first very big step yes. towards going in the right direction. So mm. I think she's enormously to be respected by, by, by taking that step. Yeah. And, and and a lesson to all of us that if we're, you know, in any doubt or, you know, whatever the issue is, talk to someone, you know, and yeah, if you can't talk to someone close uh, that's important to you, talk to your GP because they will be there to help. It's not It's not just about breaking your leg from a hang gliding accident. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's there for a, a kind of whole holistic experience that makes us human. I think we should finish. I, I saw one of your posts the other day. It, uh, did, have I got this right, that you're going to arrive in the West Indies on your rowing machine in 980 ah. days? Ah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so this this is all part of our New Year resolution kind of theme that we started with uh, episode one of series two of Quite Like a Podcast. Um, we both have a series of. Um, I'll give you my update if you give me your update on your one of your resolutions, which we spoke about at the weekend. So my update is that I am now regularly, several times a week, sitting in the Concept Two rowing machine at the local gym and the West White Sports Centre, and. To date, in 2024, I calculated this up earlier today, Tim, I have clocked up 73,000 kilometres of rowing since, you know, picking up the oars again, as it were, in, in January uh, after Christmas and New Year. And uh, I calculated that if I kept that pace up continually, I would cross the Atlantic 4,800 miles in the roar in the oar strokes of our heroes of the, the intrepid mermaid atlantic trio zav chris and um uh, uh paul. paul thank you zav chris and paul i remember the complicated names and uh forgot the easy name uh and they did it in 49 days i think it was um if i did it at that pace, the blistering pace at which I achieved five kilometres, which is 22 minutes, it would take me 14.6 days. But of course, I couldn't keep up that. No human being could keep up that blistering pace. You'd have to sleep and eat and perform other bodily functions. So um, calculating that I would do five kilometres a day crossing the Atlantic, it would take me 960 days to do the 4,800 kilometres. Uh, so... Um, you know, I decided probably my ambitions will continue to be doing it in the gym 
on land rather than taking to the water and trying to do anything as brave and intrepid as those guys. The, the other the other month before Christmas, I, I so Ella and I both um, keep records of our, our, our daily steps, mainly with the dog, and extrapolated that into, you know, walking distance. And, mm. of course, it, it was stunning how many mm. miles you actually cover. And I, I I haven't got the figures, but it was into the thousands. Yeah. It, it, it was quite, quite impressive. So... Every time we curse the dog, we do have to kind of put in a little subclause to say that, but actually he's pretty good because our health is yeah. actually dependent upon his existence yeah, because exactly. there's no way we would have gone out on a day like today for two walks um, without that little furry. Um, well, he, 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 you may have gone out for a, a wet walk with a podcast in your ear. Possibly. I, we wouldn't have gone out this afternoon, Rory. It was unpleasant. I mean, there was a day last week I went to, to Yavaland and walked the beach. It, it was apocalyptic. I mean, there's no way I would have gone out. But but the dog and I bravely, manly did. Does Does anyone ask um, Parker his opinion on this? Would Parker be happily curled up in front of your log fire or would he be happier out in the apocalyptic um rainstorms he has, he has resi- resistance when he goes out when it's raining definitely and you always are guaranteed a good night's sleep um when when the weather is windy or wet because there's no way he wants to go for a wee when it's windy or wet it's a lot of w's he holds on, um, in the morning which i think he thinks of more as a kind of a bodily function activity he if it's tipping down with rain, he'll try and turn for home as we do our usual morning ramble. So you have to discourage him a little bit unless it's really wet, in which case we go home. Um, in the afternoon, though, the afternoon is about pleasure. So once he's out, he tends to forget it and just get on with romping and smelling and doing what dogs do. Good, good, good. Excellent, excellent. Um, did you want to say anything else about your, uh, your um, progress on your... One of your other new well, year one of my resolutions was to produce um, a film. And basically, I've done what I normally do, which is bottle out of trying to do anything grand, but try and produce a pilot. So I think all I should say is um, preliminary filming has commenced and made a significant progress. And I'm in consultation with a world-famous vocal artist to provide the voice content for this. And um, we're then into technical post-production, basically. So we we lurch forward. How exciting. Stay tuned to Quite Like a Podcast, guys, because you will hear about it first here, I am sure. You probably will, and you'll be made to pay for it. I think we should finish. Let's finish there. It's been great chatting to you again. So that has been Quite Like a Podcast with me, Rory Forbes. And me, Tim Dedman. And we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. That was Quite Like a Podcast, presented by Rory Forbes and Tim Dedman.